0: Talking about this idea of being right. Uh, and so often we, we look at our rights and we fight for our rights and we want to be right. And we learned last week that uh, every one of us has a little bit of selfishness in, inside there. And, and every one of us is not real proud of those moments when we choose self over, over others, but we know it's there. We learned last time too that our life here is really, really short compared to eternity. Um, we have this sort of hardwired in us that we know that when 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 life ends here, it, it doesn't end. You know, we, we always have those thoughts that it, it must go on. It doesn't seem fair that it would end here. And, and God put that in us. Um, my, our question last week is, are we living, though, with eternity in mind that there is all of these years beyond here? Are we living thinking about that? And then we also learn that on the other, on the other side of every issue, every time we're fighting for our rights, there's a person there. On the other side of of ISIS, there's a person. On the other side of, you know, the, the Roe versus Wade, on the debate versus um, of, of uh, pro-life or pro-choice, there's a person there. On the end of your Facebook fights, there's a person there. And so we talked about that. And we briefly touched on this thought last week. And I want to kind of pick up there. It's in Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. It says, above all, um, Paul wrote to this group of followers and said, you must live as a citizen of heaven. And we just briefly touched on that and didn't say much more about it, Um, but we said that Paul was saying above all, like if if you're going to do stuff, this is the thing that you should be aware of. And he says, live as a citizen of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news of Christ. And so that's where we want to start tonight. When you think of citizenship, what do you think of? How many Canadians here tonight? Any Americans honest enough to admit it? You know, but it's it's true. It's, it's a great country that we have. It really, it really is a great country. I'm proud to be Canadian. And so I started looking up some of the stats, and I was comparing the Canadians versus Americans, just for fun, because I'm competitive about everything. And so I started going down the list to see just how great of a country Canada is. And so I started with our soccer team, and we're ranked 117th in the world. Ah, uh-huh, the Americans... The Americans are better soccer players than us, you know, but as far as I started looking at the best countries for different topics, here's what I learned, the best countries for business, and these are for this year, the best countries for 2017, we're number 10 on the list for business. Happiest countries in the world, we hit number six. Denmark is number one. one. I was unfortunate that somebody knew that, but yes, our Danish friends. Number one, happiest country in the world the best places to visit in 2017, Canada's number three. I, I know. And, and, and here's, the, here's my favorite. The best, the best place to live in 2017 was New Zealand. Uh, but then number two, number two was Canada. I, I, I know. I know. And then, and then this, the best hockey team in the world. For one, You know? I I know. I, you know what? I, I I didn't want to say it, but we beat the Americans in every category except except for soccer. And and so when I thought, you know, their slogan "Make America Great Again," they should just become Canadian. You know that would that would uh, that would solve the problem. I, and, and okay. Yes, I was fully aware. I was fully aware of <laughs> uh, my brother-in-law's in the back giving me thumbs down. He liked to move to the States. But let me just say this, traveling, traveling the world when I think about citizenship, I, I remember when I was going to, on mission trips ar- around the world, my parents and, and others would tell me, they'd be like, just make sure you put like Canadian swag on your on your, on your hat, wear Canadian t-shirts, put little Canada pins on your luggage. Just don't let anyone assume that you're American. And so, you know, because people all around the world love Canadians and want to make sure that you're Canadian. I'm like, oh, okay, well, I don't know anything about that, but sure, let's do that. But then, uh, and just so that we're not like just pumping our own tires too much, I traveled to the Philippines. And in the Philippines, as we are driving, all of a sudden, people would be like, hey, Joe. And, and I look around like, what, who, me? And Like, yeah, hey, Joe. And I'm like, hey. You know I mean? And I'm thinking, some one guy just doesn't know what he's talking about. And then as um, I'm like, he doesn't know my name. He just can't know me. But then a few minutes later, all of a sudden, this guy driving like a jeepney full of people is like, hey, Joe. I'm like, Hey, and and then the next one, a guy on a bike, hey, Joe, and pretty soon like a whole bunch of kids on a bus all waving out the window, hey, Joe, and and turns out that every white person in the Philippines is Joe, and so I was like, who is Joe, who is this famous Joe, and finally we asked, we found out that um, in World War II, the Americans had come and helped the Philippines in their fight for freedom, and so the G.I. Joes came and helped them out. So then everybody was Joe, and it was this term of endearment. And I'm like, I can be American for that. You know, just call me Joe. I'll ta- I didn't help at all, but I'll take some credit for that. And I realized, you know, there's this, there's this pride that we have in, in, uh, in our citizenship. You know, we got a Danish woman dancing in the back. We mentioned she was number one for one thing, right? We have this pride. We... It's perfect. It's a perfect example. We're proud of our heritage. We're proud of our citizenship, and you should be. There's no problem with that. The question that I want to ask for you tonight is when, in light of Paul saying you should live your lives as citizens of heaven, which one of those things is really more important to me? So a lot of times when I talk to you, I'm actually talking to me, and you just get to listen. But The question for me was, which one really is more important? Because as a Canadian, I'm probably only going to be a Canadian for about 89 years. My favorite number, I'm hoping to last 89 years, and then I'm checking out. But eternity, a citizen of heaven is like eternity. So which one's really more important? And in light of that, am I investing my life properly when I start thinking about citizenship? What am I really living my life for? Um, We hear lots of complaining about governments in the news. Online around the water cooler last week, we said, why would we even wade into this? And again, I realize, you know, you're not all going to agree. And, and my goal tonight is not to try and say, here's where I stand. I just want to look at the word and say, what does he require? What does he ask of us when it comes to this idea of, of what's right, fighting for our rights, the government, things going on around us? Uh, uh, if you read the news, you just see people protesting all over the world because Trump got elected. Non-Americans are protesting someone else's president. They're marching on their own, you know, capital buildings. They're marching on, like, the embassies. And, like, you know, we we can't believe that they elected Trump. There's marches. There's articles. There's blogs. There's Facebook groups. And that's not... It boggles me that it would be about another country. But then in our own country, we have the same thing. We got people who... Anti-liberal, they just can't stand the Liberal Party, and they're just, you know, they're grumbling and complaining about the liberals being in power. They've got nicknames for the liberals that are completely inappropriate for me to share. And then also, you know, on the but the other side is not too long ago we had a whole bunch of people, oh, the conservatives, they're the worst, and it's all of this angst about the Conservative Party, and we spend all this time, you know, the price of electricity, the refugee ban, supporting abortion in other countries, oh. And what I mentioned last week is if you look online, you see something really scary. And then in all of their blogs and all of their posts, you see Christians weighing in. And the funny, sad, funny thing is that they weigh in on both sides. I'm a Christian who loves Trump. I'm a Christian who hates Trump. Let's fight. They forget about Trump and go after one another. And to me, that's that's are we spending, are we spending our passion properly? You know, complaining about the government, it's nothing new. I would ask for a show of hands, but I don't want anyone to have to lie tonight. But complaining about the government, it's nothing new. In Jesus' time, it happened too. The disciples came to Jesus, and everybody thought when Jesus came to the planet that he was going to, like, overthrow the government. Like, when the Messiah really comes, he's going to get rid of the Romans, and he's going to restore Israel. And so they're all asking, when's it gonna happen? So the disciples talk to him, and if you can look these up, just write them down on your little note page Acts chapter 1, verse 6 to 8. We're not gonna go there tonight, we're gonna go to a few other places. But they're sitting with Jesus, and it says one time while they're sitting around there with Jesus, they're like, Jesus, when's the time? Like, is it almost close where you're gonna restore the kingdom of Israel to us? We're we gonna get rid of the Romans? Or are we gonna take them on? And he's like, you know what? Your father in heaven, he's the only one who knows those times. But, but I, I I want to tell you something. He says it's one of the one of the famous verses in our Acts that you'll receive power when Holy Spirit comes upon you. You're going to go out into all the world and you're going to be witnesses of me. You're going to tell them about me. And like we want to overthrow the government, and he's like, yeah, but my plan is that you're going to go around and tell the world about me. Later on, um, Jesus is is. Uh, He's just being Jesus, and the Pharisees, these guys who really, really dislike Jesus because they're jealous of him. He gets bigger crowds than they get, and so they're trying to trick Jesus into getting arrested, and Mark chapter 12, which is why I asked Virginia to share that because out of nowhere, that comes out uh, in, in our chat. Mark chapter 12 is the story where, where the Pharisees get some of, the, of King Herod's henchmen, and they go together to try and trick Jesus, and I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but that's a really bad idea. To try and trick somebody who knows everything is just not a good idea, and so they go and they they say they ask Jesus this question: Should we pay taxes? And Jesus is in a little bit of a spot because if he says no, then Herod's henchmen are going to arrest him, and if he says yes, the Pharisees know that the whole crowd's going to hate him because nobody wants you to, to um, nobody wants to be told to pay their taxes. I see it in your eyes. You don't even want me to tell you what Jesus would say to you, right? <laughs> but but, but here's, here's what happens. And so he's like, oh, you know, do I say yes or no? Jesus is not even worried for a second. He just says, hey, give me a coin. Let's, anybody got a coin? They're like, sure, we got a coin. I'm like, why? And he says, whose image is on the coin? And for those of you who know the story, he says, they reply. They say, well, Caesar's image is on the coin. And so he says, well, then give to Caesar what is Caesar's, but. He doesn't just leave him with that. He's like, yeah, pay your taxes, but he says also this, give to God what is God's. And one of the big things back in that day is they would have realized the image of Caesar on the coin. They also knew that they were made in the image of God. That to each and every person that he was saying this to is, you've got the image of God on you. So don't worry about giving to Caesar what is Caesar's. You need to give what's got the image of God to God. Live your life for him. Oh no, we just want to talk about the government and taxes and He's getting them to think a little bit deeper than that. And then Pilate, as Jesus is on trial, Pilate asks him, so, you know, you trying to be the new king around here? That's what the people say. And Jesus says this, John 18, verse 36. He says, my kingdom's not of this world. He says, "If, if my kingdom were of this world, if it was all about here and all about me, he says, my servants would fight. My Christians, they'd fight for me if my kingdom was about this world. He says, they'd fight so I would not be delivered to the Jews, but now my kingdom is not from here. He kept trying to explain to them that you've got to think bigger than just the here and just the now. He says, you know, the the fighting would be just about here, but he says it's bigger than that. Uh, Reading... uh, on the YouVersion Bible app. If you don't have YouVersion Bible app yet, I encourage you to get it. Some, just some incredible devotionals you can go through. And every day, just putting a little bit of God's word into your heart. Well, I'm reading one called Under God, and it's just about this idea of um, Craig Rochelle, the, the, actually the creator of YouVersion app, put out this devotional asking us this question about um, government and faith, and where do they mix? He said this, Jesus didn't come to overthrow governments, he came to change hearts. See, Jesus never came to overthrow the government. That's what they all were hoping. And still they now set that thing. Let's let's overthrow the government. And and not in the same way where we would do it passionately and aggressively, but next time we vote, we're getting our friends. And Grandma, you're voting this year because it's got to be blue next year. He didn't come to overthrow governments. He didn't come to set Israel free from Rome. He came to set people free from sin. He didn't come to set a nation free from, from Rome. He came to set individuals free from, from slavery to sin. He came to change hearts, and what changed hearts changes people, and changed people change actions, and through that, the world could be changed. He kept reminding them to focus on eternity and not just on the here and now. He came to start a new kind of kingdom, not one limited by national borders. He came to start the church. He came to start something, and he described the church this way. He said in Matthew chapter 16, he says, I say to you, Peter, which means rock. He says, upon this rock, and it's not Peter, but that's a whole different story. He says, upon this revelation of Jesus Christ being the Savior, I'm going to build my church. He wasn't talking about a building. He's talking about you. He's like, I'm going to build my church, my gathering of people, my gathering of followers. And he describes it this way. All the powers of hell won't conquer it. All the powers of how There's something powerful about the, the church of Jesus Christ. And so as Jesus left the planet, the church begins to grow in Jerusalem. And, and then all of a sudden, they begin, they begin to be persecuted for, for these things that they were saying. They crucified Jesus. Now they're after his followers. And so the believers all leave Jerusalem. They go out all around the world. They keep sharing this good news of who Jesus is. And it brings us to the, this part tonight. If you have your Bible, just go to First Peter. We'll get there in a minute. First Peter is close to the back. There's two Peters, so it's a little easier to find. But go to First Peter and bring it up on your, on your device or you can follow along on the screen. But Peter, he's an eyewitness of Jesus. So when he writes this, he was with Jesus. He saw what Jesus did. He heard what Jesus said. He saw him die on a cross and thought he couldn't be the Messiah. And then he saw him rose from the dead. And he's like, okay, nobody does that. I believe everything this guy says and he began to go out and share faith everywhere. Well, now, years later, after all of these churches had started growing in different areas, Peter writes a letter to them. And we have copies of that letter to this day. And this, uh, the, the copy of that letter, Peter writes this to them. He writes in verse 1 of, of the very beginning. They didn't have verses, just his greeting. He says, Peter... An apostle of Jesus Christ, just so you know who wrote it. And then he wrote this. To the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. All real places, modern-day Turkey, that, that area of the world. He writes them. And I just love that because he uses the word pilgrim. He, you know, that's such a cool word. you like John Wayne. Like, howdy, pilgrim. You know, that's... that's uh, I'm like, I'm reading that. I'm like, that, that's cool. That is just a good word. And as I think of it, that's actually what I titled tonight, Howdy Pilgrim. You know, the, because that's what he's saying to them. He's saying, you know what, you're, you're a foreigner living in a strange place. And initially you think, well, of course, they left Israel and they moved to these places from, because they're persecuted. But he's not writing to them in that way. He's writing to them in this idea of you are citizens of heaven. You're living on this planet, but you're not, this isn't, this isn't home for you. He's, he's writing to them as Christ followers, living around unbelievers. He says, you know what? You're a pilgrim. You're a pilgrim. And so he says, he, as he writes them, he's like, I don't want you to think like everybody else around you because you, you're not from here. I don't want you to uh, act like everyone else around you because you're not from here. And then later on in his letter, you can find it in uh, chapter 2, verse 11. He says this, dear friends. I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners. Again, he uses that same word, pilgrim. You know, you're a temporary resident. This is not your permanent home. He says, I'm warning you because you're pilgrims, because you're temporary residents, to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. He's like, be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they'll see your honorable behavior. See that stuff highlighted in yellow? Live properly, honorable behavior, and they'll give honor to God when he judges the world. For the Lord's sake, submit to all human authority, whether uh, the king as, he, um, as head of state or the officials that he has appointed. For the king has sent them to punish those who do wrong and to honor those who do right. So he says, if they're in authority over you, I want you to honor them. It's God's will that your honorable lives should silence those ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you. He says, you're free, but you're God's slaves. So don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. And then he ends it with this. Respect everyone. Who? Respect everyone. Love the family of believers. Who's that? Take a look around. Love the people around you. And he says, and then fear God. Have this respect and awe awe for God that that you'll do as he asks. And then the last one is this. Respect the king. And people would be like, back then, and maybe you are thinking this too. You know, submit, respect, Trudeau, really? Trump, like Peter would have had no idea. He couldn't have wrote this thinking down the road that we're going to have a Trudeau, a Trump, or a win. Like, there's just no way he thought about that. Or a Harper for those who want in. (laughs) We're inclusive here. (laughs) But around, around the same time, see, they're, they, we're thinking, man, like, if he only knew. But around the same time, Paul was writing to a, this young uh, guy named Timothy. He was a young pastor, and Paul wrote this, these words of encouragement to Timothy the same time that Peter's writing these words to these churches. And he says this. He says, Timothy, I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Pray for everyone. And he says, this is what I want you to pray. Ask God to help them intercede on their behalf, which means pray for them when they're not praying for themselves, and give thanks for them. And pray this way for who? Kings and all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. This is good and pleases God our Savior. Pray for them? Really? Ask God to help them? Give thanks for them? No, we want to complain about them. We want to march against them, and we want to vote them out. We being you. I can't say which side. We are so tempted, though, to focus on our rights, our freedoms, and our benefits that seem to be infringed on by who's in power. And all those things that we fight so hard for could just change with one election. They could be here today, gone tomorrow. But you know, as Jesus was saying, I believe he's saying dust is the same thing his church, his kingdom isn't governed and ruled by all of those rights and things we think are so worth fighting for. See, we don't need freedom of religion for the church to survive in this country. Did you know that? You ask the church of China. The church in China is not allowed to have, it's illegal for more than three people to gather together for religious purposes. They can't do this. This is illegal in China. Do you know how many people are in the church in China today? They estimate that Christ's followers in China are between 67 and 100 million because they're underground churches. They can't quite count them. But they believe between 67 and 100 million followers of Christ in a place where there is not religious freedom. Why? Because the church doesn't operate under that. And, you know, the, the, the current estimates and the growth that they're seeing is that by 2030, which isn't that far away, they estimate that there will be 250 million Christians in China and it will be the most Christianized country on the planet. Why? Because it's not going to stop the church. His kingdom, it says, the gates of hell are not going to stop. The things that men try and set up, it's not going to stop. If we fight for, for the church, if we fight for his kingdom, that's what it was meant to be and not, not all these other things. You ask the early church. You ask the early church what they needed. And Peter and Paul were writing these letters to the early church. Here's some fascinating stuff. Peter and Paul wrote these letters. Submit, respect, pray for you know who's was in charge at that time? A guy by the name of Nero. For those of you who know anything about Roman history, Nero was one of the worst, most brutal emperors of his time. You can see it in his eyes. One of the most brutal leaders. Not only did he murder his mom, he murdered both of his wives. That's a whole other story. Tacitus, Tacitus, who's a, a historian, He records that, among other things, the early Roman um, uh, followers of Jesus, so the people who began to follow Jesus in Rome, he said, they were covered with the skins of wild animals, and then they were torn apart by dogs. Some were crucified, some were burned as torches to light the night at Nero's parties. Persecuting the Christians. You know, one of the oldest Christian texts that we have is a diary written from uh, just a, a couple hundred years after these letters were written. It's not part of the Bible. It's just interesting old literature. And it tells a story of two women, Perpetua and Felicitas. We'll call her Felicity. It's easier. But these two people, Perpetua was a Christian noblewoman uh, at the turn of the century, um, AD 200, right around there. She lived in Carthage, which was North Africa. She was 22 years old. She was a prominent woman. Felicity was her slave. She had just recently given birth to a, to a little baby. And she also recently became a follower of Jesus Christ. And so, as she was in a class with five others, they were getting ready to be baptized, and they were uh they were caught and so the Romans had taken them, and so she had to stand before before the governor to find out what what her charge would be, and all they said is, "All you have to say, her dad came up to her and said, "Perpetua, please, just tell them you're not a Christian, you've got a young child, and you've got a father don't don't go, don't don't test whatever they might." Um, might uh, accuse you with, whatever they might sentence you with. And so Perpetua came, and at her trial, she was standing there, and she, her, she said to her dad, she pointed at somebody, she said, Dad, you see that? And he looked, and he's like, yeah. And she said, what is it? He's like, it's a vase. And she's like, right, that vase can't be called anything but a vase. And she says, and I'm a Christian. I can't be called anything but. And he was weeping, and every day he'd come to prison begging her. He would show her her child and say, please, please, don't go through this. Well, her day for her trial came. She stood before Governor Hilarianus, and as she stood before him, he saw the dad. He saw the baby. He's like, I want to let you go. Just tell me you're not a Christian. She's like, I can't. I am a Christ follower. And he says, well, then, based on your confession, you are sentenced to the arena to die however long it takes. So her and a few others, Felicity was one of them who was pregnant herself. They were brought into the arena. And the wild beasts were there, gladiators were there, just waiting for them. They brought them out into the middle. And the story is, her diary ends saying, I trust God no matter what happens after this. And her friends finished her diary for her and told us what happened. That a wild heifer ran in and threw the girls on the ground, ripping their clothes and they stood up, and out of modesty, they put their clothes back in order and stood there once again. Then they unleashed a leopard on them who tore at them, uh, but the crowds were screaming because it just wasn't going fast enough. And so they dragged these two women over to the side, and they killed them with the sword. Crazy. Crazy. People who could have fought for their rights, people who could have been like, you know what, this, we, 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 want, we want to change this government. They, out of just this life for Christ, trusting the Lord, live their lives in a way that cost them their lives. We think, well, I don't want to do that. Here's the rest of the story. We know from history that it wasn't military might that brought down the Roman Empire. The government that was so hated was not brought down by military power. It was actually brought down by lives genuinely lived with their faith in Christ. And it's pretty crazy. It started in small ways, but it grew. 200 years after the story of Perpetua, 200 years later, as as martyr after martyr after martyr would just not fear death because they knew that Christ was just waiting for them on the other side. They knew that they were living their lives for eternity and not just for today. 200 years later, there's a monk named Telemachus. He was on his way to uh, Rome for the very first time. And as he got there, he was walking near the Colosseum and the crowds were rushing into the Colosseum. And he didn't know why, so he followed along. And as he got in there, he watched and he heard the crowds cheering. And as he looked down to see what they were cheering about, he saw gladiators fighting to the death on the floor of the Colosseum Arena. And it grabbed his heart it gripped him he was so appalled that he 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 began to shout from the stands in the name of Christ stop stop this nobody could hear him in the the roar of the crowds so he made his way down all the way down to the arena he crawled over the arena walls and dropped into the arena uh, and 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 people saw this monk walking out towards the center and he kept saying in the name of Christ stop in the name of Christ stop well A pair of gladiators did stop because this was new. And they looked at this monk who was walking in. And and as they looked at him, he said, in the name of Christ, stop. And so they did. But the crowd was so infuriated that their entertainment was being paused that they began to grab rocks and parts of the Colosseum, whatever they could have. And they began to throw them at Telemachus until they stoned him to death. Three days later, word of this event reaches the emperor. Honor, honor, honorius, the emperor, reaches the ears of the emperor. And Honorius, he says to the, as he hears about this, he, he he right away begins to think about this man who gave his life in the arena. And what for? And so immediately he says, you know what? From here on in, there will be no more gladiatorial fights in that arena. And from that very day, three days after Telemachus' death, it was the very last gladiatorial fight in that arena. And as that bloodlust for for that began to change and and dissipate, the church began to grow. The, the, The effect that these people who loved people when the plagues hit Rome and all of their family left, the only people left to take care of the sick were these Christians, these Christ followers. And it was there living out of their love for their enemies that they changed an empire. See, Jesus knew what he was talking about when he said it, when he said those things. But see, we can so easily get baited into verbal warfare over rights and government leaders. And a lot of times we're like, we claim that what we're putting out there, it's in the name of awareness. We just want people to be aware of what's going on. Awareness is great unless it leads you into trench warfare. Unless your awareness becomes the spot where now I want to fight for it. I want you to be aware that millions, and I saw this the past couple weeks, there's some, one side that says, we want you to be aware that there are millions of babies being aborted every year. And on the other side, all of a sudden, and it was, so it was like this idea of support Trump. On the other side was this thing, I want you to be aware that there are millions of refugees fleeing for their lives, and he won't let them in, anti-Trump. And the two sides begin to go after each other, Those that love the refugees are against. Those that love the unborn are for and they're pitted over, once again, over one man. And you know what's really, really crazy? Is that both of those things are worth fighting for, but not against one another. Both of those things are worth fighting for, but not one another. See, we we want others to support what we support. We feel something. We want everybody to feel the same way about it. This week as I drove through Simcoe, I saw a whole bunch of people on the side of the road with their, with their, pla- um, their cards up. And it was like, support the nurses. Three managers hired, one nurse fired, and uh, they were really upset. And it, there was this thing saying, honk if you support nurses. And I hear honks, and I look, and I'm like, there's a TV camera. I'm like, oh, better. So I honk. And I drive by, and I feel really good about myself because I honked for the nurses. But did it do anything? (laughs) Support the nurses. We want awareness, but honk. And we have this thing. Will I get a like? Will I get more people on my side? Will they agree with me that I'm right? I want to leave with these thoughts. We've been called to do more than just make people aware. We've been called to action. See, when Jesus says, "Let let men see your good works, not let them hear your opinions, let them see your good works. And what happens? They will glorify their Father in heaven. Is it our marching or our signs or our blogs doing that? Are people responding by, wow, God in heaven is amazing based on what's being written? No. What's happening? The church is dividing itself. It's dividing Christ's followers one against another. Jesus told us to love our brothers and sisters our, in Christ, our fellow citizens of heaven. But he also told us to love our enemies. So it wasn't just love the people that are easy to love, love the ones we don't like. And you think, how can I do that? Some would say, I hate what these people are doing. And he says to you, you know what? When I told you to love your enemies, I didn't intend for you to do that on your own. Because you can't. You need me. If you abide, not me, God's saying you need, you need him. Abide in him. He says, abide in me and me and you. Get your strength, get your hope, get your love, get your direction for life, get your desires from me. And then love people. Love real people. My challenge and question for you today is, this Paul wrote to, to Timothy, would you pray for our leaders? Would you really, really pray for our leaders? This is something I've been so challenged with recently. You know, would we lift them up before the Lord? Would we give thanks for them, no matter whether we voted for them or not? I'm curious what our posts on Facebook would look like if we spent one minute praying for that person before we posted it. I'm curious even more if we spent half an hour praying for them. Because prayer doesn't change them, it changes us. Would we live out what Jesus said? You know, the next time somebody comes around and starts complaining about Trump or Trudeau or Wynn, I want to challenge you with something. I want to do a little social experiment. Maybe you can help me or join me. Or maybe you're just going to think I'm crazy, but I'll let you know how it goes. The next time that happens to me, I'm just going to say, well, hey, you know what? I can see this really upsets you. And the Bible tells us to pray for him. So would you join me as we just pray for Trump right here, right now? One of two things is going to happen. A, they're not going to pray. Well, A, they're going to pray with me. Maybe that's going to happen. I'm hoping. They're going to pray with me, and we're going to be doing what Jesus told us to do. Or B, they're never going to talk to me about it again, and it's win-win. Win-win. My question is this. What breaks your heart? What is it? See, because the truth is that in all of these things that we fight for, something is grabbing on our hearts. It's why we, it's why we get into that trench warfare. It's why we get into that thing because it matters to us. What is it for you? Is it the unborn? Is it the refugee? Is it the single-parent family? Is it the young boys and girls being sold into... Trafficked and sold into sex slavery? Is it racism? What is it that breaks your heart? And let me challenge you with this thought, because what we often want to do is say, this breaks my heart, the church should do something about it. Well, you are correct. The church should do something about it, but the church is not the collective church. You are. The church is you, and so when God drops something into your heart, I remember a, one place of work, they said, you know, if you see something, say something. If you see something that doesn't look right, say something. I'm challenging you at the church, It's if you see something, do something. He's calling you. If he's allowed you to see it and allowed your heart to break over, he wants you to be a part of the solution. He doesn't want you just to raise awareness. He wants you to do something. Because it was in the lives of all of those early followers of Jesus who didn't raise awareness about how bad Rome was. They just did something. They just gave their lives for who they believed in. And corporately, that changed everything. People with changed hearts and changed lives and changed actions changed their worlds. We had talked about one thing a long time ago, the 10-second rule. 10-second rule is this. If you're reasonably certain that God is asking you to do something, Prompting you to do something. We're not talking about like big stuff, like buying a house or marrying somebody, anything like that. But little stuff, like pay for that person's gas. Go and ask that person how they're really doing today. Whatever it might be, send money overseas to that place that's rescuing people, young children from Thailand. Whatever it might be, would you do something about it? Instead of trying to convince everyone around you to agree with you, why don't we do something about it? Not everyone's going to be passionate about what you're passionate about, and that's on purpose. What will you do with what he's placed on your heart? Will you allow it to bring division among your fellow followers of Christ? Or will you do something with what he's put in your heart? Oh, I don't know what to do. How can I do it? I'm just one person. Except you're forgetting something. It's you and God. You can do anything. And I ask you to ask yourself this question, the things that break your heart, the things you're so passionate about. Can you ask yourself, what do they mean in light of eternity? What do they mean in light of eternity? If I'm going to spend my life on something, if you're going to spend your life on something, make sure that it matters for eternity. If you're going to fight for something, make sure that what you fight for is worth it and it matters for eternity. Because too often we're wasting our lives fighting about things that are only going to matter for a few years. When there's things that are going to matter for eternity that He's put on your heart for a reason. Can we pray? Father, thank you for tonight. As we keep looking at what your desire is for us as your followers. It just seems countercultural sometimes, and it doesn't seem easy. We know that. And Father, I know that your desire was that in all of this, we would reach out to you for the help that we need in doing this. And so we just do that tonight. Holy Spirit, as people are thinking about the things that matter to them, the things you've put on their hearts that matter, would you help them with that next step of where they go from here and what they do to make a difference in that area for you? Above all, pray that you help us to share the truth of who you are with our world around us. That they might see you, that they might see your amazing, amazing uh, goodness. They might turn their lives over to you and that they that they would receive forgiveness and freedom and a chance to really live. Thank you for that. We pray for our, our leaders. Lord, we lift them up to you. We pray for them today. We're thankful that we have uh, the country that we have and we thank you for our government leaders. We God, I pray that you surround them with wise counsel and I pray, Father, that you help them to make wise decisions that are based on the good of our country and not just a few people. Father, I pray above all that their eyes would be open to see you. That their lives might matter for eternity. Thank you for this time together to think about some of these tough things. Pray help us to work them out in our hearts and our lives with you as we go from this place. May we shine. May we shine for you.